Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to part two of Ding Dong, Hello, It's the Penis episode. We're going to jump right in, right where we left off. Yo, y'all about to be disappointed. So, um, <laughs> average Why would penis- you start it like that? Because <laughs> you got to set it up, let people know. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, Listen, you, you mean, why would I say it? You know why I would say it? Because most of the time we're talking about penis size, it's always in relation to, you know, uh, somebody's come in, oh, I can't wear condoms because it's too tight on my penis or, you know, uh, the IUD is bothering my penis. And I'm like, what kind of penises are y'all carrying around here? Because I know what the average size of a penis is. And these can't be the same penises, right? Mm-hmm. So the average length of a penis erect is 5.2 inches, okay? The average size of a penis soft is like... 3.7 inches. Okay? Average. Now, if y'all want to go to the 95th percentile, the average size of an erect penis, the people who hit the 95th percentile, right? Mm-hmm. These are heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. 6.3 inches. And the 5th percentile, you know, the spot that, I don't know, if I was a penis, I wouldn't want to be, is <laughs> like <laughs> three. 3.9 like inches. Okay, so it, let me put that in perspective for you. So for both the 95th and the 5th percentile, that means that if we were looking at like 100 people and you were in the 95th percentile and you were like 6.3 inches, that means there's only out of 100, maybe like five people that have got a penis larger than yours and you're in the 95th percentile. On the flip side, if you are in the 5th percentile, and your penis is coming in at a whopping 3.94%, 3.94 inches. There's only like five people who've got penises smaller than that. Mm-hmm. But in all these numbers we're quoting, none of them include 10 inches. Right. <laughs> and and the funny thing is too, like for you to have what's considered a micro penis, like you like really like pretty small. That's like less than two. That's like less than 2.9 inches. That's like 1%, less than 1% of the population. So there are not, right. There are not a lot of people out here with a micro penis. Right. Oh, and don't let me, let me, let me, let me not leave out girth. So we're talking about girth, right? Because everybody's like, oh, you know, kind of, you know, it hurts me and just so thick. Um, Y'all can't see that eye roll. You guys did not see that hardcore eye roll. That eye roll Amy Jo just gave was for the record books. <laughs> circumference of a flaccid penis is like 3.5 inches circumference. Um, an erect penis is like five point, like 4.6 or something like that inches. Mm-hmm. So when you think about that, so if you think about on average, we're talking about five to six inches, you know, long, maybe three three to five inches around and that's being flexible. I think like, I feel like five inches around is too, that doesn't make any yes. sense. A- am I, am I? It's a circumference. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Circumference. Like we ain't, like, we ain't flattening the penis oh. out, right? Oh, like, I'm, you know. I'm like, that doesn't sound right, friend. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm with circumference. you. Circumference. So, cool. you know, um, penises, so it goes back to like, you know, what we see, you know, all these things, which I think, you know, drives a lot of behaviors for um, men and even drives behaviors for women. Right. And what we believe to be, you know, the you know real thing. So we put all this pressure on men and women like to be something where I'm like, listen, I don't know who y'all are. 
I don't know where these collection of extremely enormous penises lie, but it can't be your next door neighbor or you because on average y'all are hanging out at about five to six inches. Right. That's about it. So if you are out there somewhere and you're swearing to me that you are in the 100th percentile, okay, fine. You want to measure penis? Fine. Let me give you some information on how to measure it. Hit the pubic bone and go all the way out to the glands penis. That means pubic bone to head. Now, for those of you all that are a little bit fluffy, I'll give you, you know, credit. So push the fat pad in until you feel (laughs) the pubic bone. And there's where you start. And then you measure all the way out to the head of the penis. And that is how you actually measure the penis. So if you were getting it measured in, in the clinic to determine if there was something abnormal, we would, com- we, we would compress the fat. So you can compress the fat at home and you can measure it. So when they measure penises, y'all, we only got you for six, five to six inches on average. Yeah. And that just goes back to the point that, you know, people are obsessed with, well, people like men are obsessed with the size because of kind of like what they see and what society portrays like oh you need to have a a big penis but i mean we just told you the average size is five to six inches so yeah that's not gonna stop them what they see in like the pornography that you know everyone else is seeing like they're seeing the eight nine ten inch penis so that's i mean that's why the sex toy industry has gotten off to like such a kick like they're promoting the vacuums and like the pills and everything to actually increase their size and their length, but you know, not knowing that the average size is actually, I mean, what Dr. Amy Jo just said. I mean, right. I also think it's like ingrained in culture, right? It's in rap, it's in songs, yes. it's in, you know, it's in casual conversation. Like, right. this is not just a porn thing, right? Mm-hmm. Men are not walking around here dreaming about a teenage penis because they all watch porn. Like, some of them do. That may be true, but this is not what it's coming from. So, we hear it for women, you know, we hear it for men. It, it's everywhere. Like, if you ain't got 10 inches, then, you know, holler at me. There was an article, and I don't, and I'm gonna, I hope I don't misquote it, but there was some article somewhere. I think Dr. Nono sent it to me down the rabbit hole. It kind of talked about what women want. And, and in the article in the survey, women were not invested in very large penises. They were looking actually for what's average. So, on average, they were very satisfied with um, six inches of penis for sexual intercourse. So, you know, but in society, we kind of create this whole thing. Like if he ain't got nine or 10 inches, then, you know, he can go on somewhere because it's not going to satisfy me. But that's not that works well in rap and chat rooms. But (laughs) that's not what's really happening in real life. Most people are having very um, satisfied sex lives with penises that are just on average length. Yes, because I was going to bring well, because I love sex in the city. And I always watch Sex and the City. So there was this one episode <laughs> with Samantha. I love her. Which, by the way, there, she's not going to be in the new seasons that they're about to promote. But that's that's neither here nor there. Anyway. <laughs> so You're about to get me all. I know, right? Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. But then there was this one episode when um, this guy, she was about to have sex with this guy. That's what she normally does. And then um, he said, he before he took off his pants, he kind of warned her, like, you know, Women don't really want to have sex with me because I'm pretty well endowed. And she was just like, okay. Remember this episode? Remember this episode? She's like, yes. She's going to accept the challenge because she's just like, I know what to do. I'm going to be okay. (laughs) And when she saw it, she was just like, oh my gosh. Like she was a little, (laughs) 
Stop. And then it turned out that she couldn't handle it. <laughs> and she was like, can we just be friends? Because it was right. just too big. And so like. Sent that man home. Right. She was just like, I can't do this. I'm sorry. Right. So women are not. Listen, no. women, men, women are not rolling out the red carpet for 12 inch penises. Okay. Like oh, it, it's not a thing. They cause pain. Mm-hmm. They they are uncomfortable. They cause bleeding. They cause cramping. So even in vigorous sex, so even so, you know, even when you've got a regular size penis, if if intercourse is particularly vigorous, you do kind of shift that cervix, which also moves the uterus mm-hmm. a little bit. And as the uterus settles down, it causes cramping. It causes all kind of abdominal pain. So you know, women generally aren't invested in you know pain after intercourse, right? Even if it's vigorous, so. I think um, from that standpoint, you know, it's fine. Um, Dr. Nono is going to take the floor because she's waiting for this moment. So, you know, as we talk about size and all this kind of stuff, like penises also can have a curve. Too much curve is abnormal. But Dr. Nono was going to get into this curve. So, Dr. Nono, give them this curve information, please, and thank you. (laughs) So, I mean, yeah, kind of going off that point, so it is it is normal to have a slight curve. I, I emphasize slight curve to your to the shaft of the penis. Um, but it is abnormal to have too much of a curve. So that's actually a condition that we call Peyronie's disease, um, where you actually notice that your the shaft of the penis curves too much. So like we're not talking like a 90 degree angle, but it actually can be that severe where you notice that your your penis is curving too much or uh, to the you know lateral side of either right or left, um, and that can actually create some issues um, you know later down the line for you know issues with urination for ejaculation and that sort. And that is something that we would definitely refer you to um, for a specialist because that would actually need surgical correction for in the future. Um, so that's that's pretty much all I I, I wanted to say to that point. So if you do notice that you, you know, when you go pee, you notice that your your pee stream kind of curves too much to the right or the left, um, and it's something that you, you know, weren't noticing before, I mean, bring that up with your PCP. I mean, don't be embarrassed about it. We hear a lot of stories from a lot of patients. I mean, you, us hearing about your pee curving too much to the right or left is not going to surprise us much, but it is something that we do need to hear about. And that we want to make sure that we get you to the right specialist to get it corrected. There you go, people. That's all you got, right? <laughs> listen. But listen, I just wanted to put in somewhat of a of a point. Okay. So, you know, you you get what, what you get, but there are there is a way that you can try to what they have called P, penile extenders. So you can try to increase your length. It's not really recommended. Because what it is, is that you have to put your, so it's this apparatus that they have that you put your penis in the hole and it's kind of like you have two metal rods on the side and Mm -hmm. it mechanically tries to extend the penis. But you have to keep doing it like for months, every day, a couple of hours a time. And really all it could probably increase the length to maybe about two centimeters. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's like I said, you put your penis in this apparatus in the hole. And it's going to wow. mechanically try to pull. Yes. Dr. Chris, I expected some like big reward out of this. No, You're talking no. about putting a penis into right. some metal rods right. hours every day yes. for 
a centimeter or two. And I say this so that people can understand that you need to love yourself and love your body with what you got, okay? Because it is not worth it. And this is why I said this. I, I like to give all the information. No, I appreciate it. I, <laughs> but this this kind of brings up that age-old debate about, you know, is it more important to have size or performance? Listen, mm. now, now this, this is, is a the chocolate with a the side of medicine. This is a different topic uh, right here. <laughs> that is a whole different topic. And I don't know that this is the right podcast <laughs> to uh, discuss um because now we're getting into preferences, prowess, yeah, opinions, function. I don't know. You know, you know, you know, when I'm asking questions, am I am I asking questions that are you having gratifying intercourse? I am. But most of the time when I'm getting at that, I'm trying to figure out like dynamics, right? Make sure you're not depressed, anxiety. Is there anything else going on? So I'm I'm moderately com- you know, interested in whether or not you're having, you know, intercourse that you find, you know, satisfying, because if I can help with like adding lube, is it a hormone thing? Is it a, you know, infection thing, something like that. But whether or not you think, you know, a curve or six inches or 5.59 inches, I don't know. That's not, you know, we just don't get into that, you know, in the clinic. So I don't know. I get into it in the clinic constantly um, because of the patients that I have. And I have recently heard of this apparatus Dr. Chris is talking about. (laughs) And I've heard of these pills that increase penis size. And I've heard of the vacuum. I've heard of all these things across the board. I give my patients a firm no across the board to all products. They're like, oh, doc, you're not, you're not, you're not really trying to hear me out. I'm like, you know what? Every now and then, if they're real passionate about it, because they pretty much like present it to me as if they're expecting me to already say no. And you know, I'm going to say no, because all of these products have weird side effects and like these weird, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it it might possibly give you this benefit, but you might die along the way. And like, you know, your, your, your penis might fall off. And I'm like, what kind of risks are we doing with these products? Like what is happening here? So across the board, I don't really recommend it. Um, if my patient's really passionate about it, I'll have them bring in the product and I'll read the label and I'll see what's in it. And I'll really help them make a joint decision. Because, you know, I'm not like, I don't like to be paternalistic and tell my patients, you can't do that and wag my finger at them. That's not how I go about my practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll look at the information with you, look at the label. But if it looks sketch, I'm going to tell you. And nine times out of ten, all of those things are sketch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. I care about you and your penis and I want your penis to be healthy forever. <laughs> right. I'm not trying to have give you something to say, yeah, it's okay to take. And then all of a sudden all the blood vessels in your penis stop working. And then you're like, oh my God. Like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like little gas station pills. No. Don't. Oh, I know, right? You see everywhere. them, you're like, what is this? Like, don't take it. Don't take it. Every, but you know, here in the city where I'm at, there's a lot of, um, even pre, especially pre-COVID, there's a, lot, there's a huge party circuit scene. So it's a, sometimes they come to me in the office and they're like, hey, can I take this just for one night? I'm going to a party. I'm kind of taking it to up my game. Like, oh, trying to like take it to the next level. And I'm like, well, let me see it. And I read it. And I'm like, you don't need any of this stuff. Like, this stuff is like, no, <laughs> no, no. Yeah. <laughs> So, so since we're talking about like orgasms and, you know, and, and sexual satisfaction, I guess, you know, we can talk about the liquids of the penis, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, ejaculate, all those things, like, is it, it, you know, what is it? So unlike women, men typically don't cycle through a hormonal, you know, cycle every month that's going to change like what your ejaculate looks like. 
Now, with that said, it doesn't mean that you can see changes in quantity and quality. So we're, we're mainly talking about semen, right? So uh, we're talking about the actual sperm that's in the liquid. And then you also secrete um, next to the prostate, the lubricant that kind of keeps everything kind of packed in that easily glides it out of the penis into a vagina or into another cavity so that you can uh, get someone pregnant or not, whatever you're trying to do. So I think for, so on average, let's talk about sperm, right? There's like 15 million sperm per every milliliter of ejaculate. And I think, I know, right? Listen, this brings pre-cum to a whole nother ball game, right? So if you're thinking about 15 million sperm. So when people are out here like, I ain't really trying to get nobody pregnant, but I ain't using condoms. I'm like, how, Sway? Because... (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. like you got the party started before you even, you know, lift it off. So 15 million copies of your sperm are in like every milliliter. So if you have not had sex in a long time, you've not masturbated, anything like that, you can have a higher concentration uh, of sperm count in, in, in an ejaculate. If you are having like marathon sex, it's been a good weekend and you've been going all weekend and you're like on round seven, and you're trying to ejaculate, even if you see a little bit, you might see a lower like concentration. So you might see less ejaculate, which also means less sperm, but that does not mean that you're less fertile. And there is the difference, right? Because men, y'all need to know that just because the volume is low doesn't mean that you weren't less potent in that volume because your, 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 your sperm count typically does not go down. You're going to still have a good sperm count, you just have less volume of it. So that I think that that's a really important thing to use. It shouldn't generally change, you know, concentration and color and stuff like that. If you're seeing a change in your color in your in your ejaculate, then you got to be thinking about infection. You got to be thinking about inflammation. There's something else go on. But generally, what you when you are you know uh, having an orgasm or you are masturbating that that concentration is is about that those are you know those are the facts i will jump in right here and make a quick plug for um i've had a lot of patients actually that have come in with having blood in their semen and whenever men do have blood in their semen it is very jarring um i mean right (laughs) valid i mean it's valid I, i completely get it um, so there's a term for it. It's called hematospermia. That's actually the formal name of having blood in your semen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you experience it, of course, you know, you come in and see us. But for the most part, the treatment for hematospermia is basically we just watch you guys for the next, you know, three, four or five weeks or so, because nine times out of 10, it is self-resolving. Um, we don't we actually don't tell you to stop masturbating or stop being sexually active or anything like that. But most men are afraid to be sexually active because they just saw blood in their semen, which makes complete sense. Um, but typically it's self-resolving in about 90 percent of men. If for any reason it stays and it you know persists for longer than a month or so, then we do send you to the urologist and then they'll talk to you about your options and they'll take a look and do some ultrasounds and studies and things like that. So if it does happen. Go to your doctor. Not an emergency. You'll likely be fine, but keep us posted. Please tell your partner if you've got blood in your in your semen, um, use condoms. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't surprise your partner with some bloody ejaculate. I mean, that's just one. You're gonna if there is an infection in your blood or in if anything like that, and you are ejaculating blood and semen, the chances that you're going to transmit whatever's in that blood has just shot through the roof. So. 
I, Dr. Sunshine is right. You can still engage in intercourse, but you've got to be very open and transparent and honest with your partner. Mm-hmm. Because the one thing I do believe, and I tell my patients this all the time, is that sex should be left where it ended, right? So when I walk out of a room after engaging in intercourse, the only thing I should take with me is the memory of it. Like I should not carry anything that I did not want to have on the way out the door, right? So mm-hmm. please make sure that if you've got any anything weird about your ejaculate or anything like that, do not engage in oral, anal, vaginal, or any other penetrating intercourse without letting somebody know like this is what's going on. So, all right. So we, we've kind of gone through like, uh, you know, penises, like what they look like normally. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, what happens when they're not going well and how we can kind of prevent some of that. So let eat erectile dysfunction, which we all shorten for ED. Mm-hmm. It's actually pretty common, y'all. 30 million men in the United States at some point have had some permanent or temporary erectile dysfunction at any point in time. That's a lot of guys. And it can happen for all kind of reasons, y'all. Like it can be a, a prostate problem. So men who have BPH, who maybe had a prostate surgery can have it. It can be caused by medications. It can be caused by obesity. It can be caused by heart disease, sleep apnea. So all you young fellas that keep refusing to wear your CPAP machine because you think it's not sexy. <laughs> oh, wait well, until not sexy. Right into that penis doesn't work. Then we're going to really experience not sexy. So, you know, all these things matter because sleep and, and just like fatigue, insomnia. So, you know, all this, you know, hustle hard, grind, team, no sleep is bad for your penis. So all these things diabetes? can impact team, no sleep. No, I'm saying diabetes is on that list too. Yeah, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension, Mm -hmm. it can all do it. And then also medications, right? So, you know, some of our blood pressure medications can do it. You know, anxiety and depression come with a a group of medications that can also mess with it. But can I put this caveat on on the, the, the medications for like anxiety, depression? They all do different things, right? So we have to clarify it. So every medicine that you get that's for anxiety and depression is not going to cause erectile dysfunction. They can cause other sexual dysfunctions, which is why you need to clarify what the side effect may be. But um, medications, um, age matters. As you get older, all men see some kind of decline in sexual function. But like we were saying earlier, where the decline is, I think we've, we're completely off the mark. So men and women have shifted up where they think sexual dysfunction should start and it's not there. 50-year-olds, 6-year-olds should still be having sexual function. Maybe in your 70s, 80s, you're kind of getting to the point where you're like, you know, I'm really having a little bit of a difficult time. And that's something to talk about. But 50 and 6-year-olds should still be having sexual intercourse. Either way, if you're having some ED... Uh, we got some help. But before I talk about the help, does anybody have anything else to talk about for like ED? Like what might cause it? So with the medications that can cause ED, if you do notice that there's been some, you know, changes in your sexual performance, please do not stop your medications by yourself. Like definitely bring it up with your provider before you just, you know, self-stop your medication. Because especially with a lot of the antidepressants, Um, And some of the uh, anti-blood pressure medications that we use, some of those medications actually need to be tapered off and you can't stop them suddenly or otherwise you'll get a lot of really bad side effects with them. So if you do experience some of these side effects, like you're not 
maintaining an erection or your sexual um, uh, performance is being hampered, you know, definitely let your provide your provider know before you just go ahead and just stop everything cold turkey because that is not the way to go. I just wanted to say another major thing that because I have a lot of patients who smoke, and if you smoke that can smoke cigarettes, that can cause erectile dysfunction. And so sometimes, depending on what what the issue is, like if you're smoking, we can just tell you, well, if you reduce your smoking, stop smoking. Well, we want you to stop smoking. But once you stop smoking, it could reverse and your problem might not be there anymore. So things like that can be helpful. Exercise. Yeah, like, can we go back to this? Okay, so can we talk about an erection just really quickly, right? So you're sitting there minding your own business. You're a guy. You got a penis. And somebody walks past. You're like, oh, yeah, I want to have sex with that person. So brain's like, I got you. Say nothing more. So brain's going to send a message down to the penis that'd be like, yo, we need to get this party started because we're about to have some sex. All right, cool. So nerves start to stimulate and you dilate all these vessels and this blood needs to rush in so that you can sustain and maintain an erection. If you have been smoking for most of your life, over time, you've been doing damage to the very vessels that you need to have intact, right? So now when this blood is trying to rush in, your vessels aren't really good. They're kind of raggedy because you've been smoking. And so either the blood rushes in, it doesn't stay, or it comes in really slowly. And now you've got your sexual partner doing aerial cartwheels trying to make sure that your penis is going to work, right? And that's not that's not how it's going to happen. So, you know, you've got, you've got people out here doing all kind of stuff. You know, turn around, spin around, rub my nipples, stand up, sit down, all the stuff. Because you're thinking, like, I need more stimulation. But it might be a vessel thing. The same thing with diabetes. So if you got diabetes, you don't take care of your diabetes at all. It's always super high through the roof. Well, diabetes does a really good job at ruining small things, right? And those small things are vessels and nerves. So when that brain sends that message down to your penis to say, hey, listen, I'm ready to get this party started. Can you let everybody know to get it started? The nerves aren't firing. And so you're like, why isn't anything happening? It's okay. Well, now the nerves won't even fire so that you can even dilate. So you can get this blood flow to rush in. Or even if the nerves do dilate, if your blood is the consistency of thick syrup, well, that ain't running through these vessels. And if it's not running through these vessels, you can't get an erection, right? So smoking, diabetes, all this stuff, you know, matters. Alcohol too. Alcohol will, you know, will also cause you to have, you know, system, you know, malfunction. Here's the benefit, right? Here's, I mean, here's the good thing. Most of these things can be reversed, right? You can stop smoking. You can stop drinking. You can improve your diabetes. And for, you know, young bodies, your body will say, thank you so much for changing it around. And it will, the refunction will go back to normal. But that's you gotta, that's what you got to have in the back of your mind. We're talking about not smoking, watching your chronic diseases and all this stuff. Because that's what's really at your, your, your problem right there. And also obesity is a big issue as well. If you are obese, you have more of you have more of these fat cells. And a lot of these fat cells, what they produce is more estrogen and not testosterone, which also helps in the whole uh, process of you wanting to have sex and helping in the erections as well. So if you're not exercising and you're obese, your erections are probably not going to be very good. You might have a small erection. It doesn't last very long. So mm-hmm. that's why it's important that you exercise, keep your weight down, because all of these things matter. Um, a lot of times your doctor will ask you, do you have you know, an erection in the morning when you wake up? And um, if you do, that's a very good sign for us. That means that 
you know, when your mind is not preoccupied with, I don't know, work or your anxiety or your depression or anything, you can still have an erection in the morning. That's always good for us to know. Also for erections, you know, uh, some of the questions that come up is, is it a use it or lose it kind of thing? So the short answer is um, no. We do know that people who engage in in healthy uh, intercourse uh, tend to um, have an easier time continuing engagement in intercourse. But if you have been unable to have sex for whatever reason for a long time, it does not mean that when you re-engage and start to have intercourse that you're going to have erectile dysfunction. You should still be able to... Um, maintain and sustain erections if you are having a problem then we go back to some of the things that we talked about in in ed where we need to revisit those so the act of just not having sex for long periods of time should not change your ability to have sex when you are ready to have sex unless you got something else cooking Mm -hmm. so so y'all listen i'm too excited about this point so I was reading, right? Because I was like, okay, let me make sure I really am thorough. And so we think about uh, Kegels, Kegels, whatever you want to call them, pelvic floor exercises as things that we that women need to do to help. But yo, y'all, pelvic, exor- pelvic floor exercises are recommended to improve erectile dysfunction in men. Yes. Like they need to be doing it. They need to be getting their squeeze on. So apparently, <laughs> y'all... Um, they should be, um, so for men who like have, you know, ED or, um, have like prostate issues and stuff like that, have problems with urinating, they can also do pelvic floor exercises. So they're supposed to, when they're urinating, try to hold for five seconds at a time. And they're supposed to do it like 10, 10 to 20 times per session, like two to three times a day, which I'm like, man, how much urine is in a male's bladder to do it 10 to 20 times in, in one urine session. I'm like, that's impressive. They recommend it for people who, like you said, have that, uh, the BPH or some prostate or urinary issues to do yeah. to do those uh, Kegel exercises. Now, I'm going to break it down really, really simple. For the men who are listening who do not know what a Kegel exercise is. Because mm-hmm. I know there are men listening and they're like... They what know what it is. Them? They just don't know they don't know what it right. is. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're a guy and you're listening, you're like, listen, I don't know what that is. Say, for example, if you are in like a crowded elevator, right? And then you get the urge to pass gas and you're like, ooh, I don't want to pass gas. And you hold it in. It's that motion there. Yes. It's that motion. Like squeezing it in, like holding it in Mm. and then let go. Mm. Or it's the motion when you young men are showing off your erection and you keep squeezing and it keeps going up and down where you're flapping it up and down in the air because you're squeezing that. So it's that motion that allows you to flap your, yeah. very, your yep. penis up and down. That's a, that's a Kegel for men. But here's where they threw me off a little bit when I was reading. They were like, they should try it in different positions. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, run that by me again real quick. Cause I thought you told me they're supposed to be doing it while they're peeing. I'm sure they meant non-peeing Kegel exercise. Cause uh. they were like, you know, Men should do Kegel exercises in different positions. They should try doing it like laying down with their knees up. So I guess they don't cheat and use their lot, their thighs or something. I don't know. Hmm. Sitting in a chair and standing up. So men should try to do these Kegel exercises in different kind of positions, which will help build their pelvic floor, which can help with erectile dysfunction and can help with uh, BPH so that they urinate better. So there you go. Men. Join the club. Welcome to the Kegel Committee. And uh, get to squeezing, my friends. Like, we have known about this forever. 
I know. Like women do it all the time. Like I feel like, you know, they we as women, we've been like doing Kegels since, you know, we were like young. Like everybody's like, do your Kegels, be strong. But apparently, <laughs> fellas, y'all need to be out here, you know, flexing your muscles. Um, so there you go. Um, so yes, they are supposed to be squeezing to help with um ED. So, you know, it will help, especially for um men who are like, I can't afford all the medications and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, there's a small thing that you can do while you're doing your lifestyle changes to kind of help your, uh, your erections. Right. Do Kegels, um, stop smoking, stop drinking, maybe cut back on the weed and you're good to go. Yeah. But let's say none of that works, mm-hmm. right? You're like, I, I got nothing. There, There is medicine mm-hmm. for you. Right. So, and all of them are, are primarily uh, what we call phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors. So essentially, remember when I was talking about your brain sending that message down to the nerve to tell those vessels to dilate out so you can get blood flow in? Well, phosphodiesterase is the thing that normally reverses that step. So essentially, there's medicines that tell the body, hey, don't reverse it. We still need these vessels to stay open so we can get more blood flow in. So that's your Viagra. That's your Cialis. That's your Levitra. That's all those medicines that you can get to see if it if it's going to work. Now, Dr. Sunshine gave you a really important detail on whether this medicine is going to be something that works for you or not. One of the first questions that I ask my patients in my office when they're like, hey, can I get something for erectile dysfunction is, do you get spontaneous erections when you're not thinking about it? Do you get morning erections? Like, have you ever been minding your own business and just got a spontaneous erection? If the answer is yes, then maybe these medicines will work. If you have stopped getting morning erections or spontaneous erections, this might not be the medicine for you and you're really going to need a specialist, okay? But these medicines are out there. The trick is they're expensive. Mm-hmm. And even the ones that you can afford, they only give you like yeah, five of them to last yeah. for the whole month. So I don't want you to out here thinking like, oh, I need to go see my doctor so I can have sex every day. Listen, they give you about five good sessions in that pill for 30 days. So it is really up to you to figure out like, okay, even with the medicine, is there anything else I can do to kind of get my sexual function restored? So I would not rely on the medicine because um, the cost is just not, you know, the cost does not lend itself to using it to engage in intercourse every week or you know multiple times in a week because you really just don't get a whole lot of it so i also want to just point out because you know i just got to give you all the information you know they do have those vacuum assist those apparatus that can help with that as well hey i'm giving you information i love it i love it tell me about it so so it says it's um this is a device that it literally so what you do you put it uh, around the penis so it's supposed to to create a vacuum right so the so you pump it with air or it's battery operated to create the vacuum so then you can try to get all the blood into the the penis to make it fully erect and then you have to use this uh, ring to kind of like constrict it at the base to kind of keep it erect so that's a way that you can cause an erection and sometimes what they do is that they use um, the Viagra as well with it to help to get the erections. And it works about satisfaction wise about, they said like about 50 to 60%, like that's satisfied with it. But you know, you have to, it takes planning. Like you gotta, you know, do the vacuum, you, gotta have you know? So like it's, it. it's a lot. But then they also have implants for people. That's for people who can't all, you've done all of these things and all of the things that we were talking about, 
the lifestyle change, all those things, medications are not working, and you can do the implants. Kind of works a little bit the same way. Well, the way with the implants is that they put, so it's pretty interesting. I'm wondering what we're implanting. What are we implanting and where is it going? So there's, mm-hmm. I'm curious. Yeah, so there's, oh, a, really? there's an apparatus, like a saline kind of apparatus that they put under. When, when they do the surgery, they put it underneath like your, your abdominal muscles, right? And there's like this um, way they kind of hide it in the back of your testes. So you can kind of like try to pump it. Penis pump. Yeah. And then they put, yep. So the saline goes and then they, they put the um, kind of like a hydraulics kind of thing in, in the penis to kind of like, yeah, to kind of cause it to erect. It's not covered by Medicaid. Not, yeah, yeah. When I was in residency, um, I had a patient ask for it, and that's how I learned. Like, it's not, it's not covered by Medicaid mm-hmm. at all. Wait, um, the penis pump in Inglewood? Someone was asking for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these, this, this is, this is it's expensive. That, I would think that you have to really document that you've tried everything else, and there's nothing else that you can do, and that has yeah. to be like an elective kind of procedure. It and is. It's not recommended. It, it's because this is for like this is for like spinal cord injuries, yeah. People you know, like those kind of things where like the the innervation has like you know mm-hmm. been lost. It's there's no way to get a message to the penis to do it. So you need to be physically fit for it, you know, mm-hmm. and do all this kind of stuff. And so then in that case, then a penis pump might be the only way where you know if you could if you could obtain an erection, then you could still then it will still function, but you've lost the innervation to the penis, and so that's where a lot of these penis pumps come into play right I have had lots of patients who have like so like i i i had a um i had a person who was asking about it who was just a really 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 severe diabetic and like you know had killed all the nerves and tried to get it it's really hard to get approved. So, you know, you got to try to make a lot of case. I couldn't get it. So I don't really know what the steps would be. So I tend to send them to the specialist because it's an expensive surgery. Um, and, and it's hard to get approved. I'm looking at it now. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm, I literally just Googled it as we're talking. And this is very, it's very interesting. interesting. It is. But I've also had a lot of patients who could probably use this, especially patients who have like gunshot wounds and right. things and accidents where they can't have erections. This would be literally the, yeah. Know, but of course, with surgery, there's always side effects and there's always complications that can occur. You know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like, you know, as long as something didn't like happen to you, like a spinal cord injury or an accident or gunshot wound or something, it sounds like you need to stay pretty healthy so that you don't have to have any of these problems yeah. and you don't have to need any of these apparatuses or injections or Viagra Cialis, things like that. That's what it's sounding like to yeah. me. Yeah. And the, in the, off, in the off chance that, you know, these you're the unfortunate you know recipient of these events there are a ton of options available to you you just got to ask your doctor for them so you know ed and don't get me wrong we're primary care doctors right and so ed gets complicated and so what you got to know is that you you will come if your ed is super complicated you do get to a point where as a primary care physician i need to send you to the specialist and we are more than happy to do that. So, you know, everything that you're hearing today may not be all of the options because we can get you the specialists who do a lot of fun, cool things, who've got way more toys, may way more surgical, you know, knowledge. They may say, actually, you know, we just started, you know, these five things. So there may be more things out there because really when you kind of get into severe um, ED, 
it's time to send you on to the other doctors that do this every day and get really focused on just this. And so we are more than happy to send you if the basic boxes have been checked and we can't figure out why you're having, you know, problems. And the same thing goes with fertility since we're talking, since we're, you know, on that, that topic. So fertility, which we don't talk about a lot in men because we just assume men stay fertile forever, but that's actually not true. So Fertility as it relates to sperm count, right? So you're using sperm to get women pregnant or get, you know, or fertilize an egg. And your sperm count for men peaks at about somewhere between the age of 30 and 35 is the high as is is where your peak is. So after 30, you're kind of on a slow decline. And it's at its lowest at like 55, right? So we kind of talk about men like, oh, you guys are, you know, fertile forever, you know, and, you know, even at 65, you know, you're still kicking. Everybody's got a story about somebody's grandfather who was 70 still having babies. And that may be true. And while men don't go through menopause, you also are having a decline in just how active your sperm is. And that starts for you about the same age as it starts for women which is about somewhere between 30 and 35, that starts to drop off. So if you are in your 30s, you have not had kids yet, you are a man and you're trying to figure out ways to make it better, limiting your alcohol, avoiding your smoking, avoiding lubricants, right? So you have a sexy time with your partner and y'all have been doing all these body massages. Well, some of the oils in that body oil can mess with the ejaculate. So if you, you know, if you are trying to get your partner pregnant, I would recommend that you avoid body oils, at least on the penis that's going to be inserted into a vagina because the oils can interfere with some of the fat content in the ejaculate and mess with fertility. Also remembering to stay cool. So tight clothes, higher temperatures, your testes don't like to be hot. They need to be cool because cool keeps sperm alive. Now they don't have to be on ice. So please don't go out. (laughs) Don't put your testes on ice. Okay. But they just need to be cool. Also, food matters for fertility. So spinach helps. Capsaicin, ironically enough, can help. It's spicy foods, right? So spicy, the capsaicin causes uh, spices in food. Avocado and, of course, exercise will all, you know, lend itself to improving how fertile you are. But uh, women are not the only one that's climbing downhill after 30, fellas. So Think about the next time you're looking across the table at your 30-something-year-old girlfriend going, I sure hope she can have babies. She's going to be looking across from you saying, I sure hope you can have babies too, my friend, especially if <laughs> she can't take care of your diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. I'm so curious to know, like, what avocado has in it for it to, like, promote fertility and I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's healthy fats, right? Because, you know, we're talking about cholesterol, right? So testosterone, you know, is made by cholesterol. You know, testosterone is feeding the maturity and development of sperm. So it could be that. Oh, man. I'm so glad you said that, um, Dr. Nono. We left out testosterone. So your one hormonal component, fellas, that relates to your erectile dysfunction or to infertility, or that relates to your ability to have good erections or be very fertile, is going to be testosterone. Now, if all this stuff doesn't apply to you and you really think you got a hormone problem, we will check your hormone levels. Here's what you have to know. Hormone levels are very specific. We got to check them at a certain time. So you're going to have to coordinate that with your clinic so that we get those at the right time so that the levels that we get matter. 
And if they are off, we can't figure it out. We may send you to a specialist just so that they can check your testosterone level because getting the timing right matters and telling you whether or not it's going to be good. So I can't leave all testosterone. I hate to throw it in in the back, but I I need to make sure y'all know that testosterone does matter. It typically tends to be less common than some of these other things that are going to be the cause, but some men do have low testosterone. Yeah, typically when um, they do the workup for um, ED, a lot of times, you know, they do check the testosterone because, you know, like we were saying, that matters. And when you have that morning erection, it's usually because your testosterone is a lot higher in the morning than typically throughout the day. So that's why that's why it's important to check um, the labs at a certain time to to uh, see where that is. And sometimes it's just a quick fix. If we give you a little bit more testosterone, then things improve, right? Because some of the problems with low testosterone is that you kind of just don't, you have low libido, don't have the desire to have sex, low energy, concentration, you know? And that's why it goes back to the exercise, losing weight, all those things help to improve your testosterone level. I have to make a plug here for the LGBT community because if you are... If you are a trans woman, as in you have started off your journey as a male and you want to transition into being a female and you're under hormone replacement, which is a large percent of our population, especially here in the Bay, then you have to make sure that well, your provider is going to tell you, your doctor is going to basically tell you that if you want to have children in the future and you want them to have your sperm, then you need to go ahead and donate your sperm and go ahead and store it in a bank before you start your estrogen treatment in order to transition properly and be able to procreate in the future. Just a small plug. That's all. It's a huge plug. Thank you. Dr. Yeah, Sanders. that's a huge plug. Like shout out. Yeah. It's a huge thing, especially if you're a doctor that does trans care or seeing patients who are trans and you don't tell them that and they transition with that and say that my doctor never told me that, you know, I would not be fertile anymore. Then that's actually liability mm-hmm. in a lawsuit. So that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. One of the people that that I don't want to leave out are our early ejaculators, like people, like men who, um, I mean, you just blow. I mean, you try hard, but you know, you think about all kinds of things, but you just you 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 go too early. I we were talking about anti anti anxiety, antidepressant medicines as a dysfunction. Well, I want to bring this point up because I take care of a lot of depression and anxiety in my clinic, and it comes up a lot. The antidepressants, particularly the SSRIs or the SNRIs, do not cause erectile dysfunction. That's not their common problem. They cause anorgasmia. There's a difference. It means that you can have an erection, no problem. But you are not able to have an orgasm no matter how hard you try or it takes you a very, very, very long time to do so. That is one of the side effects to the antidepressant medications. And I think it's important to know because in my attempt to take care of uh, mood for men, sometimes they're like, I don't want to touch that because I don't want to lose my erection. But losing your erection is not what it causes. However, in men who tend to have problems and tend to orgasm too quickly, I am hoping that maybe it will give you that side effect because if it does, it generally allows you to um, have intercourse for longer periods of time, which you are going to, you and your partner both enjoy. So there is that. So sometimes trying some of the SSRIs or the SNRIs, if you are a, a man who tends to have a really hard time, you know, not ejaculating before you want to, it might be something worth trying. I'm glad you brought that up because the whole thing is that, you know, 
some men feel like they ejaculate too early, but sometimes it's a, a perceived thought that you ejaculate too early, but you don't necessarily. So like premature ejaculation is is if you ejaculate and it's less than a minute, right? But then if it takes, but sometimes like if it's consistently happening, sometimes it can happen one or two times, or maybe it was just like you were stressed and, you know, something was going on and it just happened. But a lot of times it's, it's kind of like a perceived thing. Like they think that they ejaculate too early mm-hmm. and it bothers them and it's a problem. And that's, and that's why, like you mentioned, Amy Jo, the SSRI is an off-label uh, treatment to help with that as well. Sometimes mm-hmm. they give you like a low dose of the medication so it can help with that. Because what's the average time of, of intercourse? Oh, man, I used to know this. Um, I think with a male orgasm, they said that it le- literally lasts about like six seconds. No. Oh, oh you orgasm. Mean, you mean like the, orgasm. Oh, the orgasm is six seconds. Yes, orgasm is yeah. six seconds. But the average length of, of intercourse, it's way uh, shorter than what men than yeah, what men and women it's, think. It's, it's shorter. I don't. It's only like 10 minutes, I think. Yeah, average. it's not that long. It's not that long. So, so it's not like you're expecting you to do marathons. Like, no. <laughs> right. And I think, I feel like people need to know that because, you know, yeah. men feel all this pressure to go for hours, you know, oh, I got to go, I got to do 30, 40 minutes. No. But I, the average time is, is, is not 30 minutes. It's like mm-hmm. minutes. So yeah. um, foreplay helps, you know, to extend your, your, your start to finish time. But the, the active intercourse is, is actually not that long. And that matters before, because I don't want people to feel like they've got to get on medicines that you don't need because you think you're trying to last longer than than what is really the average. So, you know. Yeah. And there are also some learned behaviors, too, like some things that you can do if you feel like you're about to. You can kind of like stop a little bit to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, think and then restart again. Mm-hmm. There's other things that you can do, other tricks to kind of extend it, the period. So it's last longer. I don't know what else y'all want to know about penises, but that is all I have. <laughs> Did we want to touch on BPH a little bit? Oh, yes. Okay, fine. BPH. And the symptoms to look out for for BPH? So, BPH, you have a large prostate. So, on, on, on your bladder sits on top of your prostate. And that prostate can get big, right? This little organ can get big. And the reason why it matters is it gets big and it does not allow you to urinate. And so if you remember in our earlier, like when we first got started, when we think about general health, one of the questions we always ask men is, can you urinate okay? If that answer becomes Mm -hmm. no, one of the most common things is that your prostate has gotten large. And we call that BPH. A couple of things happen. We ask ourselves the question, is it just getting large because you're getting older or is it getting large because you've got a cancer? Those are really the two questions. For most men, it's getting large because you get older. It's just kind of part of the aging process. In some cases, it's getting large because you have a cancer. And why it matters to the penis is that when we send you to the specialist, sometimes they have to biopsy it or sometimes they have to do a procedure and in almost every case, there's some loss of sexual function to some degree, maybe not complete loss, but men come out of those procedures and they, they feel like something is a little bit different or is not as, as, uh, it's not back to baseline as it was before they had the surgery. So, um, before we even do procedures, as long as we don't think it's a cancer, as long as your, your 
your um, labs look okay, we'll try to give you a medicine that will dilate your your urethra. So your your um, pathway from your bladder out to the penis will get a little bit open so that you can urinate. If that works, then then we're good. We'll let you do it. But if it doesn't and it requires more procedures, then, you know, we got to see you to the specialist. And that may mean a biopsy. That may mean more workup to try to figure out how to help your prostate get smaller. And a lot of those symptoms, a lot of those symptoms come in different flavors, too. So a lot of patients can have a variety of symptoms, everything from, hey, doc, I just went to the bathroom. And then as soon as I left the restroom, I feel like I didn't, you know, completely clear out all my urine. I don't I don't feel relief from going to the bathroom. Or it can be, doc, I'm urinating all the time. Like I just used the bathroom 45 minutes ago. I'm back in here constantly. Or I have to wake up from sleep at night and I have to pee three, four, five times at night. And these symptoms are new. They're a change. Um, Or sometimes they're in the middle of urinating and then they have problems with their stream. So they'll start urinating and then they'll be like, stop, get a little dribble. Or sometimes they have problems even initiating urinating period. So it can be any variety of urine disruption. We want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> any variety, anything. To if Especially if you're urinating a lot at night, sometimes what people don't realize is that maybe they're drinking too much fluids right before they go to bed and that's why they're urinating so much. And it, I mean, it could be that's the problem, but doing some of those lifestyle changes might make things a little bit better. So like cutting reducing your caffeine intake because, you know, that's a diuretic that causes you to urinate more, um, stopping your fluid intake maybe about two hours before you go to bed, things like that can improve without necessarily having to be on medication. You know, we're talking about the prostate and there is one thing. So, you know, you know, large prostates tend to be an, an old man's game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the prostate can also get inflamed. And mm-hmm. I don't want to leave this out because I, I can remember this so clearly um, working in like urology clinic, you know, in training that you can also get a, a prostatitis, which is like an inflammation of the prostate. And this tends to, to affect younger men and they will come and they will be, you'll, you'll come in and you'll be comp- complain about just pain, right? You get pain with ejaculation you get pain with penetration. Um, sometimes you guys are are married, and so you don't understand because there's you know you're like I I can't have a um, an STD, so I don't know what the problem is. Or there'll be some kind of confusion because you don't you know you don't identify a partner that could have caused this. Sometimes you've gotten a prostatitis where the prostate is inflamed. It just simply it's not an STD. It doesn't have to be caused by a sexually transmitted infection. It has just gotten inflamed for some reason. And the fix is long-term antibiotics. So it's not the take the one tablet like you do when you've got a sexually transmitted infection. We normally put people on antibiotics for weeks to give the prostate a chance to heal and, and, and become less inflamed. And it will eventually go away. And one of the questions that I generally ask men is that, do you get the pain even when you like masturbate? So some men will say, I have pain with intercourse. I have pain when I ejaculate. And then I stopped having sex because I wasn't sure what it was. And I keep getting tested and my tests are coming back negative. But then they say, but I even get the pain when I masturbate. And that generally tells me like, this is a prostatitis and not anything else. And we need to go ahead and put you on long-term antibiotics and it will clear up. So let's not leave that one out because men confuse that for STDs. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want you to confuse it. So there's that. We did all the things. I think we covered. I think we covered everything on your list. Plus more. We we yes. yeah. I think, I think we gave we gave the penis a lot. Listen, 
Listen, fellas. We gave it a lot of shine. If, we gave it a lot of shine today, fellas. I don't know how to give you more of the penis without you making an appointment with your physician or without you going to medical school. Because <laughs> <laughs> there, I'm sure, are other things to discuss, but you know, there's only so much time in, in, in a podcast, even in two episodes, to discuss. So, you know, if you've got more questions, um, please call your doctor. Okay. Right. Or you have questions that are not meant to be discussed on this podcast. Yeah. And that's not the time and place right. for it. Right. So, so there it is. You so know, there it is. All of it. So <laughs> now we can go to the question portion. Oh, it's the question. Hey, it's the question. Hey, hey, it's the question. Oh, the question. Yeah, it's the questions. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh okay. I feel like I feel like each week we're just gonna come up with a random jingle. We're just gonna start making up our own jingles, right? So we talked a lot about the penis, so we're gonna have questions that don't involve the penis, okay? <laughs> so if we gave you enough love, it's it's just, sorry. Okay. It's, it's over, over it's done. It's over now. <laughs> so this is the first question. Hey ladies, I'm twenty eight year I'm a twenty eight year old woman and I'm wondering if I experience burning when I pee, how long should I wait before going to the doctor? Don't wait. Don't wait. You need to go because you probably have an infection. Um, you don't yeah. have to wait for that. You can just yeah, go just right go. away. Yeah. I I see people same day. They're like, oh, I started having symptoms like today. Okay. Let's talk about it. Because the longer you wait, it could get worse and you can become septic. And there was that, um, who is it? That actress that died from urosepsis? Oh, what's her name? Ooh, I don't know. Oh, from Gilligan's, I, I think it was from Gilligan's Island. The, hmm. I don't know. I think it was her. But no urosepsis can really? become yeah. dangerous real quick. So, yeah. you know. It's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. You yeah. can die from it. I mean, it goes from the, it goes from the bladder to the kidneys, to the bloodstream, you know, really quickly. So definitely do not wait on that. Yeah. It's not fun because you're going to see, you're going to see Dr. No-No. And uh, if you guys have to go for your <laughs> you're not going to be I'm happy. I'm the end game. So, you do not yeah. need to see me. Yeah, you don't. So you want to see us first so we can maybe prevent that from happening. See me. It's yeah. But you know what? I do, have a, I do have a lot of patients that like, they kind of ride it out at home and they're like chugging cranberry yeah. juice. And they're like, oh, if I just if I just drink a lot of water and I drink a bunch of cranberry juice and I keep on peeing, it's just going to get better. And then oh, I'm just like, have, if you have no. an infection, I cannot imagine. You're present, the only thing that's going to fix that is antibiotics. And you, you can only get that, you know, either at your PCP office or if it's reached up to the kidneys or the bloodstream, then you need to come into the hospital to get IV antibiotics. So that's. That's the only reason. Or they take that um they take that over the counter stuff. Azo. Turns their pee yeah. Azo or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it turns your pee a different color. It's kind of I weird. Mean, mm-hmm. That's why it's a, it's important that you tell people because they were like, What is going on? My I mean, pee? I don't know yeah. if that's killing bacteria. <laughs> but, 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 but I mean, if it's not a ba- if it's not an antibiotic, then the problem is still there even after you take it. So, you know, you still would need to come in to get evaluated for that. So yeah. Yeah. You don't have to wait. Just come in. Just come in. Okay. The next question. So, hello, ladies. Do you have any tips for people who have trouble sleeping, particularly for people who have trouble falling asleep? So that that kind of goes into just basic, you know, sleep hygiene. So kind of like, what is your environment around you for when you try to fall asleep? So you know, the basic things would be: are, are the TV is the TV still on? Do you have a TV in your bedroom? 
Uh, have you turned out all the lights? You know, have you you know stopped drinking fluids or liquids? You know, a couple of hours before you fall asleep. Um, have you you know stopped drinking any sort of caffeine? You know, tea and coffee included um, before you go to sleep. You know, things of that sort. You know, anything that would try to keep you awake um, before you try to fall asleep are things that we try to ask you about in clinic um, to improve your you know insomnia symptoms before you try to go to sleep. No, I was just saying Dr. Nono brings a very good point because, I mean, really the bed is supposed to be used for sex and for sleep. So reading, watching TV, all of that stuff, your brain is still working. It's going to be harder for you to fall asleep because you need to kind of be relaxed in order to fall asleep, have a dark room, all of these things to help with your circadian rhythm. So your body knows, oh, it's nighttime. I need to go to sleep. So it's all of these things. A lot of people have bad sleep hygiene, and that's part of the reason why they can't fall asleep. And there's other things too. If you're stressed, you have depression, you have anxiety, all of those things play into you not being able to sleep. What were you going to say, Dr. Sunshine? Oh, I was going to say that um, I have a lot of patients in this boat, especially patients who are working from home. And it basically combines everything you and Nono just said. Because they're working from home, they don't have a really good separation of their home life and their work life. Um, And a lot of times the thing that's stopping them from falling asleep is the fact that they can't really take their mind off of work because they're always working because now they now they live in their work (laughs) because they're working from home all the time. Um, And I think it's important for them to and a lot of them are working on their bed, like on laptops and stuff. And I'm like, hey, you need to create boundaries and like, you know, you shouldn't be doing work things in your bed. Um, because that's kind of messing up the whole rhythm of what you would normally, you wouldn't normally do that because you used to go to work every day. Right. Um, so then it's like creating boundaries, making sure the bedroom, like you said, is for sleep time only or intimacy time only also making sure that they have a steady stop time for when they stop working and close the laptop and make sure that they have at least an hour or two of doing that, you know, before they have dinner and then go to bed and so on and so forth. Um, so I think that that has a lot to do with it. And that kind of goes a little bit into what you're talking about, the anxiety, the stress, especially if it's related to um, to work in particular. I mean, there's some like over-the-counter supplements that you can take, like uh, melatonin is probably the most popular um, that you can take after, you know, you've exhausted all the other options for, you know, turning off your TV, you know, stopping the liquids and, you know, setting up a routine for, um, you know, your work, you know, work-life balance type of thing. Um, but, you know, usually we, we try and like stress those, you know, options first before we have to go to medication therapy, because those usually we can solve most of your insomnia problems with just, you know, cutting those things out, um, to be able to get you a full night's, uh, full night's rest. And also a quick note for my, uh, ADHD people who are on Adderall. Um, so many people, if you are on Adderall, especially if you've changed between Adderall and a different type of ADHD medication, it might be a factor that your dose, especially if it's extended release, might be a little too high. And the dose that you're on is really affecting your ability to fall asleep at night. Um, and that'll be a conversation that you need to have between you and your psychiatrist or you and your PCP, because sometimes there's a balance of what's the dose you need to be efficient during the day versus what's the dose that, you know, you need to be on or a low enough dose for you to fall asleep at night. Because what you don't want is to be caught in the cycle of taking ADHD medication to keep you focused and then taking another medication to help you fall asleep at night. 
because there are millions of people, there's like lots of articles about this. There's millions of people in this category that are taking medications to stay focused during the day and other medications to make them go to sleep at night. And that is not what we recommend at all. Yes, yes. I have lots of patients like that. I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're giving you a stimulant and then we're giving you a, de- a depressant. Like why? Why are, we, why are we doing this? Yep. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Yeah. And it happens, it happens frequently. So that's definitely something to talk about with your, um, with your doctor or your psychiatrist for sure. Um, and I had another thought on my brain, but it went right away. Um, yeah, I had a thought too. Cause I was like, I was going to think, um, sometimes even like, um, some women who are going through menopause when they're having the hot flashes, they can't go to sleep too, you know, and yeah. trying to keep cool, you know, keeping cool. Like you can, they have those, um, bed sheets that, um, regulate temperature. Sometimes. Yes. My patient told me about that two days ago. Yeah, You can try things like that, you know, cause it's, cause even for myself, if I'm hot, I can't sleep. I got to take off things and, <laughs> you know, so you can't sleep when you're hot, but when you're cool, you can sleep pretty well. Right. So, so I don't know if this is like medically studied, but I found that I invested in like a, um, a diffuser. Uh, so I have like a diffuser, like a little bedside, or something I could put on like like my uh, nightstand at night, and I have like eucalyptus and tea tree oil and peppermint that kind of infuses through it, and like just that smell um, that also creates like a kind of a cooling sensation to your skin, and like as soon as I put that on, I'm like out like a light in maybe a couple of minutes, and it, it works like a charm, and I also kind of like you know I have like a routine that I set up where. You know, maybe like a couple minutes before I like, you know, get ready, like my bed routine, I'll put water in the diffuser. I'll put a couple of drops of the, the oil, the essential oil in the diffuser, turn it on. And then it has like a soft, cool light. And then once I like kind of get into the bed and get comfortable, you know, I'm out. And the last thing I remember is I wake up in the morning and I'm ready to go to work. So it's, it's, it's a small investment, but it does work. Um, and just, you know, another thing that, you know, we don't, we don't want to prescribe you medications if we don't have to. And like these little home remedies that we kind of like recommend, you know, some of them do actually work. So, you know, we just kind of have to you know, have you be patient with us and try them. And if they don't work, then we can talk about other options. So, yeah. Chris, if we do two questions for this week, that's fine. It's okay. We have more than enough time. Like, as yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we can do questions next time. So this just gives people the opportunity yeah. to send us more questions. And so Dr. Nona will let us know how they can do that. So we have our IG, our Twitter, and our Facebook at the handle uh, titled The Chocolate MBS. And also feel free to send us your questions via our website at thechocolatemds.com, where you can also submit your questions through our uh, portal. And also, you know, check out the different, uh, you know, terms that we use throughout the show that you may need a little bit, a little clarification on. Those are all listed on our website. In addition to the new, newly updated shows that we uh, just uploaded, um, those are all posted on our website as well. Awesome. I also want to let, (laughs) I just wanted to quickly let um, everybody know that I really want to conclude the show in the same vibes that Dr. Chris put out in the very beginning, which is hopefully we can bring a lot of positivity into 2021. I'm all about positive vibes, sunshine and everything. We're literally about to embark on a new era, a new chapter, and we none of us know how this thing going to go. 
we just don't. <laughs> so um, it, I think it's really important for us to keep a positive attitude and to make sure you keep your tribe real close, you know, have a good support system and we gonna, we're going to thug it out. Yes, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Thank you guys for sticking with us. Um, to reach the final end of the penis episode part two, you guys have had two full episodes of content and hopefully you guys learned a little bit, laughed a little bit and enjoyed everything across the board. Um, you guys can look out for our next episode in another two weeks and we want you guys to stay safe and um, stay positive, stay positive, stay positive. Thank you, Dr. Chris. Bye guys. Bye.